one story comes to mind. So a lot of the time, this is the question that I have. So when kids have cognitive testing or adults have cognitive testing and it comes back and it's the cognitive testing is strong, meaning you have the ability, but why aren't you storing and retrieving information? This is always something that I'm wondering about. So they say, oh, you have the skill set in this particular area of, you know, ELA, math, whatever it is. But mm -hmm. so with one um, particular person, the thing that interfered with his storing was that he was emotionally flooded and he couldn't tell anybody. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? If you find this show to be valuable and meaningful for you, and I assume you do if you're listening, a rating and review on your podcast player of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might go, would be greatly appreciated. It helps others find the show and really raises our visibility so that we can help as many people as possible. And speaking of helping people, the members of the ADHD Essentials Facebook community are connecting with each other regularly. I post all kinds of useful information and resources in there, and I'm sure it's just the kind of support that you need. So consider joining. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. The link will be in the show notes. And of course, check out our partner podcasts. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, The Flagship Show, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and The ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maven. There will be a live Q&A Tuesday, August 10th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern with all of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network hosts. Go to ADHDrewired.com events to register. Welcome to the show. Today, we're digging into the vault to hear from Gail Okerman. Gail is an educational consultant, counselor, and one of my old college professors. She runs Five Points Counseling in Lunenburg, Massachusetts. In today's episode, we discuss the internal struggle of ADHD, how systemic and cultural realities get in our way, the power of teaching kids ways to talk about their challenges, and harnessing incremental change. All right, let's get rolling. I'm a counselor and educational consultant in school, and I also have a private practice, Five Point Counseling in Lunenburg. And I also have been a professor at Fitchburg State College and have worked through Wista State College as well over the past 20 years. And you are actually my professor. So Yes, I was actually your professor at Fitchburg State. Yeah, yes. so if my listeners are like, that sounds like something Brendan would say, that's because I stole <laughs> it from Gail. Not unlike the Chandler Creedon episode that came out a little while back. <laughs> yes, that's true. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about your concerns around the oversimplification of ADHD and how that sort of loses the specificity and uniqueness of the individual child who has it. 
Yes, that's been a concern of mine for about the past five years. So I have a concern about tossing certain, certain language around and then making attempts to create interventions after we've broad brushed a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And what I found in working with um, ADHD uh, students and children, adolescents and adults is that ADHD has its own specific dimension with each particular person that I'm working with. So one of the things that happens with a lot of people who have ADHD is they also have the component of anxiety that is part of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. In that anxiety, the anxiety presents very differently. So with one young woman that I'm working with, her anxiety presents as the need to finish immediately. So as soon as she's given a task, her anxiety, her ADHD presents as in, in terms of the impulsivity is, I need to get this finished as quickly as possible. And her inner dialogue forces her to finish the task before it's done with any kind of quality. Mm -hmm. And so that's the presentation with, with her particular um, ADHD, and how, that's how anxiety works for her. Where another student, a child that I'm working with, his anxiety presents with getting stuck initially. So he gets cognitively and affectively overwhelmed immediately as he's presented with the task, and he cannot move. So it's like his car stalls. He stalls out right there. You would call it anxiety in both cases, but how it presents and then the kind of intervention that's essential is the thing that I'm looking for. Right. The specificity of the glitch and the challenge, and then how to intervene at that particular moment. I know we often don't associate anxiety with ADHD. I mean, you did. You led with that. Yes. But often in schools and sort of in the world outside of ADHD expertise, yes, not everyone's making that connection. And I've been doing this for a while now. I haven't met a single person with ADHD who doesn't also have anxiety in one form or another. It might not be diagnosable. Right. But it's certainly there. Yes. Yes, it's a component because when you feel lost in translation in one way or another, you feel anxious. And so it's an emotion that comes up all the time when I'm working with somebody in the context of the diagnosis. And in the past year and a half or so, I've mm -hmm. turned myself into an expert on anxiety as much as an expert in ADHD. Yes. I had to. I had to to help my clients. Absolutely. They run, they run parallel. Another um, person that I'm working with the ADHD presents this way. So a writing task is given. This particular person, a female, becomes flooded with a floodgate of thoughts. She has too many thoughts. And then she gets anxious because she doesn't know what to do with the thoughts. So the anxiety there is, I have all of these thoughts. So then what we're talking about is I begin to label what happens to the person. So I say, okay, here comes the floodgate. It's going to open as soon as you get the assignment. And all these thoughts are going to come. And it's almost like preparing you for the rush of thoughts. Yeah. And making it very, very visible. And then saying, okay, once you get the rush of thoughts, wow, you have lots of thoughts. That's kind of cool. Like, look at how many thoughts you have. Relabeling it is kind of a cool event that you have so many thoughts. And then what is it that you need at that particular point once you recognize you have the thoughts? So that the intervention is very specific to her in that moment. 
and the self-talk becomes very specific to her. And the awareness of the pattern, right? That pattern recognition about how do I work and what, what is it that's happening that's shutting me down? That's really key. Yes. I love the word pattern recognition. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> I, I love pattern recognition. I love language. Anything that will help me. And then sort of what's the next step, right? Like yes. the girl who gets flooded with thoughts when she's writing, she might also be getting affected by struggles with organization just in terms of how do I organize all these ideas and what do I do with them? Exactly. So she doesn't have a problem with getting thoughts like the other guy that's stalling out who doesn't get any thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a problem with getting thoughts. She has a problem with the organization of thoughts. So what do you do with this myriad of thought? Her strategy is to get as many of those thoughts down on paper to sort them. Mm -hmm. But that's her strategy. For somebody else, that may not work. There's something that I created when I was working with Chandler. We wrote a book together called Developing Minds, and there's something we developed together called Prescribed Strategic Planning. And in prescribed strategic planning, you become very prescriptive, almost like a prescription for someone. Instead of like, okay, let's give them this graphic organizer. No, we create an organizational structure that's prescriptive to her needs. So she says, I would like to write as many of these thoughts down as I possibly can. Okay, let's go with that. That's helpful to her. And that's also a little bit of the collaborative problem solving from Ross Green. We really have to work with the kid or the adult, depending on who we're working with, to figure out what's the challenge that they're encountering and how can we work together, them as the expert in them, us as the expert in executive function or ADHD, to help solve that problem. Absolutely. I believe that when you believe you have the expertise, rather than believing that they need to be leading you to the place that makes the most sense to them. Mm -hmm. So everything I do is patient, client, student driven. Mm -hmm. And then I follow and then like the Ross Green collaborative problem solving, that particular structure works, but absolutely it's a, an empowerment model. You don't have to do buy-in because the, a person is actually creating it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. They, they're the expert in what they need and, and how they work. I just probably, hopefully, have a few more ideas and strategies than they do because yeah. they wouldn't be talking to me if I didn't have them. Yes, and I feel that way too Like because I've, I've done this a myriad of time with so many people. I understand the process of how to get there, and that's the expertise that people are needing from people who are trained, someone that knows how to get to where you need to go especially when right. you get lost in this particular way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and hopefully get you there instead of three years from now, three to six months from now. Let's get there a little faster. Or so that you can go away in the moment, hopeful that you have one strategy that works and that you have something to build upon. The other part of that is when I am able to create language with them to advocate for themselves. So when I went into a meeting with um, this uh, sophomore, and we were talking together as a team, I had prepared with her what she wanted to say and how she wanted to say it in regards to how her anxiety functions in the context of her ADHD and how her Russian need to finish things creates this pattern for her and what they need to say and do that would be the most helpful in that particular moment when she's feeling that need to rush. And then she went into the meeting and I was able to cue and prompt her. That's awesome. I'm going to throw another little language thing at you real quick. Sure. That you might like. 
circling back to the girl who gets this flood of information, right? This flood of ideas when she's writing. Yes. And then she has to organize those ideas. But she also has to recognize that that is a pattern that happens for her. So she knows it's coming. And she's got to manage that emotional response of the flood of information because that might feel emotionally overwhelming too. Yeah. And then she's got to stick it out and and actually execute on organizing these thoughts. Yes. So she's handling a lot of different executive functions there. The emotional regulation, the response inhibition of maybe she just wants to get up and leave and she has to inhibit that. The metacognition of recognizing what's happening. Yes. The flexibility of being able to roll with it. And the task initiation of doing the thing. Yeah, right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. The brain goes at a pretty good clip, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Not to mention the organization side of just organizing these ideas. Sure. So what I call that is executive functioning algebra. Mm -hmm. This plus this times this equals I started the paper. Yes. And I play with that a lot because some of the executive functions in my mind are additive. And some of them are multipliers. Okay. Working memory is a multiplier. Yes. If you are struggling in that, things are going to get significantly harder. Yes. Whereas sustained attention, even though it seems like it would be a multiplier, to Mm -hmm. me is kind of an additive one. It it Mm -hmm. adds stuff, but it isn't necessarily completely destructive unless it's really bad. Yes. Time awareness to me is a multiplier because of how sneaky it is. Because we often don't realize that's what's biting us. Um, and emotion control typically is more additive in my mind. Yes. Um, unless, again, it's really, really out of control. But then you're just adding such a big number that you may as well be multiplying. Yes. That's kind of how I think about these different executive functions. Is like, which ones really cause problems and which ones just make things harder? Yes. I'm with you on working memory. My attempt to understand how memory functions and what is getting in the way of someone storing and what is getting in the way of someone retrieving is, is so much a part of this whole executive functioning um, reality. That, and so I'm always looking at that component. I think it's one of the major components for sure. Yes. So maybe we play with that a little bit because you're thinking about what does it take to get the memory in and what does it then take to get the memory back out again? A metaphor I like to use for this is playing catch. So if I throw a football and I want you to catch it, if you catch it, then you've got the memory. But if you don't catch it, then you don't have that memory. You're not going to remember that I asked you to go buy milk. On the other hand, if you catch the football and then you just can't seem to throw it back out, you can't seem to put it down, you can't do anything with it, it's just in your hand, now we're not retrieving it. Yes. Or at the very least, maybe you put the football in a backpack and you're like, I can't find my football. One story comes to mind. So a lot of the time, this is the question that I have. So when kids have cognitive testing or adults have cognitive testing, and it comes back and it's the cognitive testing is strong, meaning you have the ability, but why aren't you storing and retrieving information? This is always something that I'm wondering about. So they say, oh, you have the skill set in this particular area of, you know, ELA, math, whatever it is. But Mm -hmm. so... With one um, particular person, the thing that interfered with his storing was that he was emotionally flooded and he couldn't tell anybody. So he was overwhelmed by the task, but he didn't have any language for it. So he couldn't catch the ball because he's overwhelmed with the task immediately. And in that flooded emotional state, he can't catch the ball, but he's 
everyone's saying you're smart enough to do this. So they just keep saying, you're smart enough to do this. But this is not helping him with the fact that he's emotionally flooded. If anything, it's making it worse. It makes it a whole lot worse because they're saying, he can do it. You can do it. Look at all you, you know, you're a bright guy. This is the thing that I think is the plight of the person with ADHD, is the gross underestimation of the struggle that's going on internally with all of the regulatory realities that the person with ADHD has. I, I can almost cry about it because I, I've sat with people who, this is so painful to me personally because I have sat with many people who are personally hearing these messages about how they're told that they should be and could be doing it and nobody's really seeking to understand the specificity of what is going on in the moment for that particular person. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I, I mean, the wall of awful is in here yeah. pretty significantly. Yes. There's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. But there's also another element that we're sort of hovering over but not really poking at much yeah. is the fact that ADHD is nothing if not inconsistent. Yes. So there's days when I'm the greatest person walking the face of the planet. Yes. And there's days when I don't know why they let me out of my house. Right. And that's really hard to manage, especially if you don't realize it's going on, if you don't have that pattern recognition for it. Absolutely. So this particular kid that I'm talking about, yes, when he was on, he could, he could write and tell you everything about weather systems, thunderstorms, anything you wanted to know about the weather. You didn't even have to go to the weather channel because he had so much stored information and so much understanding of this. And once he would find these little areas of these niches, he would blow you away. But when he would get in this flooded state, he couldn't find his way back and forth to, to anything. And you're right. It's the, it's the inconsistency. And I just left a meeting where we talked about the inconsistency and how that represents itself wherever you go, socially, emotionally, uh, in, in, in any and all of your interactions, that inconsistency is present. Yeah, absolutely. And the trick is to figure out what your average is. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need to figure out. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. That's, that's how I think of it, right? Is that it's this roller coaster, but there's a through line going through it. Like if you picture a scatter plot mm -hmm. and then that line that goes up the middle of the scatter plot that lets you know the averages of all those numbers and what the progress really looks like. Yes. That's ADHD is you've got to find that line. You have to figure out what's my average and is it getting better? Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose, right? Like that's yes. everything I do with my clients mm -hmm. is about trying to help them become 10% better. That's it. Yes. 10%. But yes. the compounding interest of that 10% over the long haul becomes significant. And that means that it's okay to be 10% better tomorrow and 20% better the day after that and 10% better the day after that. And then 15% worse. Like, that's okay. Sometimes you're going to trip and fall. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Let's just make sure that our average over the course of the long term is improving. Right. You call it one thing. I call it the other thing, another thing, but it's very similar. I call it incremental shifts, mm -hmm. incremental change. So I'm always looking for the incremental. And I think what happens is people miss incremental shifts and change. And if you don't jump on the incremental shift and change and say, oh, there it is that there's the thing, and you miss it, the person becomes discouraged instead of encouraged. And so having somebody who's coaching you who says, there it is, is so important to have those people who understand. And when I'm working with parents and families and educators, I say, when she does that, 
you need to say, there it is. So that she knows she just crossed over that bridge on her own, that she couldn't cross over uh, 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I always call it team somebody, you know, team Amy, team whoever. And, and to have a team so that the person feels encouraged and uplifted and it's a shift. One of the things that I like to shift is the system in reference to the person with the challenge. And so that's the other thing. And seeing all of the things, all of the, the kids that I've ever worked with are so creative and so Im imaginative and have so much to offer systems and systems miss it if they're um, overcorrecting. There's a little bit of an inverse in there too, right? Where if we want to be able to tell the kid like, oh, great, you said please to give it a really simple example, right? Yeah. Usually, usually they don't say please. This time they said, please, let's, Yeah. that's it. Good job. I'm really glad. Yeah. One of the tricky things to catch on that is if the kid doesn't do something. Yes. Like if the kid typically is like swearing their brains out <laughs> and then yeah. one day they just don't. Yes. They have to have permission from us as the adults to be able to say, hey, I just really wanted to call you a terrible, terrible name, and I didn't. Yes. I kind of need some credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's so important because someone just asked me because this uh, a, one of the kids came in and, and was re being really demanding, and I said, and they said, wow, is he always like this? And I said, no, he used to tantrum. <laughs> he used to tantrum. Now he just, he, this is great. Do you, do you, yeah. he's, that you're right. So that he, and then the other thing that I do in reference to that, that people really like is I do something called back the train up. And back the train up is remembering your history. Remember this, 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 and this. And, and then they're able to see the progression. And I, I don't think that, um, I think parents and educators need to, to, they do that academically, but we need to do that um, emotionally and behaviorally. Remember when and now and, and to really um, make that much more present. Yeah. And we also have to stop giving so much credit to maturity. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of the time that stuff gets skimmed over like, well, of course he doesn't tantrum anymore. He's more mature. Right. Or he's still the same kid. Let's give him some credit for not tantruming anymore. Exactly. Like, I, I know we are culturally, we do not like to appreciate effort, do we? No. That's a huge component to working with anyone who has a challenge is to really recognize the effort and to, and to be in some kind of a, uh, whatever kind of a celebration you want to be in, in regards to that effort. I do think we shortchange each other all the time culturally in regards to effort. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And we shortchange ourselves too, right? Like a lot of us are just, I, I could have tried harder, but we very rarely said I worked really hard on that. Yeah. So you have, I, I, I think, you know, that sort of micro to macro, you have the micro realities of what are the brain-based realities or challenges for this particular child or adult. And then what are the, the systemic realities that they find themselves in? And then what are the cultural realities that perpetuate some of this thinking that we have to push through to get better, all of us? That's where like the, the shame and the stigma around ADHD really bites us. Yeah. Because so much of what happens with ADHD and where we struggle 
is around the basic essential adulting things of life. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of grief and shame and, and bad feelings about that. Like I didn't make the phone call. I didn't send the email. I, I didn't remember that date or I didn't go to the doctors like I was supposed to because I instead did this other thing at work or something. And our struggles with that creates all this guilt and shame because oftentimes society isn't recognizing those challenges as valid. And I mean, that's part of the point of this podcast is to try to say, nah, these are valid challenges. Because if someone has a broken leg and they're struggling up and down stairs, we don't judge that. That's okay. They're supposed to have trouble going up and down stairs. Well, I have ADHD. I'm supposed to lose my phone. I'm supposed to struggle to remember what my wife's birthday is. I'm supposed to struggle to put my laundry away. All of those things are supposed to happen. But because that's easy for so many of us and my disability is not obvious, it, uh, it often gets shortchanged. So badly. It gets shortchanged so badly. And I believe that ADHD, we underserve it mm-hmm. in so many systems. And because we are a culture that just believes in effort, and the effort can overcome anything, we devalue the level of, of the challenge, absolutely. And the other thing that I try to do is that I try to humanize the challenge a lot so that the person's not left with the shame in a system. So in just the other night with a 20-something and her mother, they went to a cookout, a party, and they knew half the people and they didn't know the other half of the people. And the person with ADHD felt ashamed because she couldn't do small talk. And I asked her mother, how good are you at small talk? And she said, I'm horrible at small talk. Did you see I just sat with one of my friends all night? (laughs) And so sometimes, you know, we all have a struggle with small talk or we all have a a struggle with attention. I'll say, you know, I forgot three things today. I think part of humanizing this so that we're not leaving one population carrying shame is so important as well. Yeah. And and that's interesting too, right? Like, Someone who doesn't have ADHD is going to typically forget three things, let's say. Yeah. Someone with ADHD is going to forget six things. Maybe you, like, you know, give yourself a handicap like you would in golf, and you only forgot three things because the first three don't count because that's the average number of things that people are going to forget every day. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. But also to not be shaming about it is the point, right? And also to not be shaming if, you have a challenge with small talk. Do, do you know? Mm-hmm. So whatever the challenge is, sometimes to, to just uh, humanize it a little bit at the same time to not diminish the reality. And also to flip it on its head a little bit sometimes, right? Like if you've got a girl who's not good at small talk and you say to mom, well, how are you at small talk? And mom's like, oh, I stink at it. I just hung out with my friend the whole time. Well, Small talk is a skill. Yes. So where are you learning that? Yes. Not from mom. So of course you're not good at it. Right. Right. It, it may not even be part of your ADHD. Right. It may be part of exposure. And that's why in being prescriptive, I'm trying to look at what of the conditions and circumstances that the person finds themselves is the inattention about, I'm distressed. What is my inattention really about? So that we understand what it is that can be immediately addressed that may be different than the ADHD also. And I think that part of where the shame comes from 
is that it's so hard to do exactly what you're describing. Yeah. To play with that specificity and uniqueness around an individual person. Yes. Because that really brings home what ADHD is all about. But if you just go, oh, you have ADHD, that means that you forget things all the time and you're never, you're never able to get to the place when you're supposed to be there. I, that's easy. I can shame that because those are cultural values and I don't have to think any harder. I, oddly enough, don't have to put in the effort to figure out how you work, even though I value effort. Yeah. Yes. So I say this to the people who come to me, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I am all in. I mean, I am all in and I will figure this out with you. I will never give up on figuring this out with you because I believe, and this has happened so many times that your gifts and talents will surpass many people I know. And you are going to be of great service to our community. If I can help you to find a way that makes sense for you. So it's selfish on my part too. The reason I go all in with this population is the gifts and talents cannot be left on the side of the road. We cannot afford to have these gifts and talents left on the side of the road. Because what I have seen over the course of many years is astounding in terms of the humor, the creativity, the way of looking at things all with all in there and to be left in a pile of shame about the fact that you're late uh, is ridiculous because 10 steps beyond that i can see something that's so beautiful and valuable yeah and you've got me thinking about the role that dopamine plays in that Mm. people with adhd right we don't have as much dopamine going through our brains as neurotypical people yeah so often the things that are motivating for us are bigger than the things that are motivating for people who are neurotypical. Yeah. So we stink at getting places on time. Mm-hmm. We stink at doing the worksheet. Mm-hmm. But give us a big problem to solve or put us on a grand stage to do the thing. We'll shine. We'll jump right into that and go full bore. And that means if we can get all that smaller stuff nailed down, either by working out systems or just hiring someone to do it, we can make a really big impact in ways that other people might not even try. Absolutely, because underneath it, you're taking risks all the time. Right. So, yeah. So I will put stuff, if I put things out and I leave them for adolescents to just go hang out with, like I put, I put um, circuitry out and all kinds of STEM stuff out. I had this one um, adolescent boy who went over. He's very quiet. He has challenges with showing up, all of those kinds of typical things that you're talking about. He was able to do that circuitry probably within 10 minutes. Not only that, but he taught a whole group of other boys how to do it within probably 20 minutes, something I could never do. And that was just by virtue of just leaving. His visual kinesthetic was, is enormously strong. I left him alone in that, and he, he figured it his way through it very quickly. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? The ending essential that I have is if you roll up your sleeves and you can just take in what each person who is challenged has to say about that challenge, you will begin to see something that is miraculous that's woven throughout the challenge. And you will be astounded about what that person has to offer.
Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.